Welcome to the ADS Podcast. This is where we talk about all things audience development for the arts related. Join us for discussions about audience building tips, ideas, concepts, and philosophies with sometimes brought in special guests. And now, here's your latest podcast for you. This is Shoshana Finitza with Audience Development Specialists, and welcome to the ADS Podcast. Today, we are inviting Al Stilo, who is the Director of Sales and Marketing for the Aurora Theater in Lawrenceville, Georgia. That's in the Atlanta area. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about Al. He is in his 10th season at Aurora Theater, and he's proud to be part of the fastest-growing theater in the region. During his tenure, Aurora Theater has nearly tripled the season ticket base, expanded to its new facility, received the 2009 Pinnacle Award for large nonprofits, and was named Best Theater Company in Atlanta and Creative Loafing's 2010 Best of the Atlanta. Al served three years on the executive committee of Atlantis Performs, Atlanta's theater service organization. Al currently sits on the board of directors for the historic Lawrenceville Business Association. Al has shared his knowledge and expertise both locally and nationally with presentations for organizations like Artworks Gwinnett and the Americans for the Arts National Arts Marketing Project Conference. Al has received multiple professional distinctions for marketing from the Gwinnett Convention and Visitors Bureau. He has been a professional actor for over 20 years and on stage at Aurora, he has appeared in Le Miserable, Kiss Me Kate, Guys and Dolls, Chicago, the last of the Red Hot Lovers, and several others. Al started his arts administration career with Solstice Repertory Ensemble from 1995 to 2001 before serving as sales manager for Georgia Shakespeare from 2000 to 2004. Before welcoming Al to the show, I wanted to talk about the history of subscriptions because I found it quite fascinating. Amazing to find out how old subscriptions are. So I found this article called Understanding the New Boom in Subscriptions. It was written March 27th, 2013 by Dan Burkhart, CEO and co-founder of Recurly Incorporated. And it is from the Wall Street Journal, All Things D. What I am finding here is more than a century before Netflix and Hulu and Spotify first charged subscribers to satisfy their daily media cravings, another device existed called the Theatrophone. From 1881 to 1932, telephonic devices called theatrophones were made available to dignitaries and guests in luxury hotels who required their daily fix of live opera performances via subscription fee 50 set of times for five minutes. Pretty cool. So then it also goes on to say that subscriptions have historically also found ways to take on greater social media through the signaling of a certain status by way of access to secret society, social club, or charitable organization. In the 1700s, by subscribing to become a benefactor to a charitable organization or society, individuals were able to achieve certain significance among their peers. Subscriptions to charity balls and full seasons of theater access were as much of a status symbol as they were convenient. Country clubs, yacht clubs, athletic clubs, fraternities, and other private clubs have almost always been entirely member funded by way of subscription membership model. Memberships, dues, donations, and even tithing from the Catholic Church were achieved via scheduled subscription payments. During the 18th century, the notion of subscription that we know today arrived when subscriptions to periodicals, magazines, books, and theater events became common. These subscriptions typically included delivery of the printed material and were sold for a specified number of issues or a period of time. So pretty interesting and it talks about how the idea of pay-as-you-go subscriptions were even during the 1800s were being experimented with Um, and we still have those types of subscriptions today. I did not know how old the subscription model is and the fact that asking the question whether or not subscriptions are dead or alive Well, even if they are considered dead to some people, they have had a very long run, a very long history. So I thought that was pretty fascinating. I think the subscription model, as you know, now know, has been around for centuries. And it is something that I don't think is going away anytime soon. And I think 
that I'm finding there's a lot of organizations out there that are becoming subscription focused or are continuing to be subscription focused and they're doing quite well. And this is why I'm bringing Al to the show is the fact that he is running a subscription based organization as you're about to hear and they're building lots of loyalty and as you will see some of the benefits of this subscription not only are they becoming subscribers but they're becoming more than subscribers and becoming very supportive part of their organization so let's invite al to the show i want to welcome al stilo to the ads podcast welcome al thank you thank you so much for having me and i just saw a facebook post from al saying that he more than doubled his subscriptions within a year's time which i thought was pretty amazing and right now in the arts world as you may know we are having that hot topic debate of whether or not subscriptions are dead or alive and kicking. So I thought we would have Al on the show because he is a firm believer in subscriptions, as you will find out. And we can learn a lot from how he has doubled his subscriptions in about a year's worth of time. Well, I think it's a little bit longer than that, but um, we've, uh, we've definitely grown by leaps and bounds. So, Al, tell us a little bit about Aurora Theater. How many seats and shows do you have, et cetera? We're the fastest-growing theater in the southeastern United States. We produce over 600 events annually. Wow. That is cool. uh, now, not all of those are subscription events, obviously, um, but we're sort of in that never-be-dark philosophy. So does that mean that you have more than just Aurora Theater happening on that stage? We produce mostly Aurora programming, but we have a very wide scope of programming. Uh, one time I had an arts administrator ask me, are you guys a branded house or a house of brands? And I said, we're actually both <laughs> because we have our um, and we have everything very much sponsored out. So we have our. Peach State Federal Credit Union Signature Series, which is the series that happens on our main stage. We have another series, which is our Harville Lab Series, sponsored by Georgia Gwinnett College in our studio. We have Aurora Children's Playhouse, Aurora Comedy Nights. We have Aurora Swing Nights. We have Aurora Learning Library, which are weekday programs that we do for education. We have Aurora Theater Academy. We have the Lawrenceville, Georgia Ghost Tours that we own and operate. Wow. Uh, in addition to other special events and things that we produce in conjunction with partners, uh, occasionally bringing in events uh, and presenting them, as well as a myriad of different types of outreach that we do uh, through our education department and through our community division of the theater. So that's really a philosophy that being a part of the community and being out in the community is extremely important. Our signature series is six plays that run uh, typically four to five weeks, although we have been expanding now with some of the uh, more popular titles that we've done. And is the signature series your main subscription or do you have... That is our subscriber series. We offer a subscription package to the studio series, but we've never really... Uh, put a lot of energy behind uh, selling those packages. Okay. So there's, it sounds like there's always something happening. In Actual signature series, the season part, runs July through May. So your signature series, you had mentioned, if I, I hope I get this right, there's six plays? Six, six plays. Okay. And we, we do not take out uh, popular titles from the package. And I may be jumping ahead a little bit because uh, that probably gets into benefits. But we, we include all of the plays, including our holiday offering, as part of the subscription package. Oh, that actually could be a, a big benefit, and we will talk about that a little bit later. So, so in order for people to get an idea of Aurora Theater, how many seats are in your theater? And for each show, how long do you do the run for? There's 250 seats. Uh, we do six to seven performances a week, and we. And how many um, weeks do you run? Show. We we run typically four to five okay. weeks. For some of our more popular titles, we've gone as far as seven. Great. Weeks. 
Now, that, that sounds pretty standard, and I think many of the other theater people out there will agree that this is a, a pretty average summation of, of what theater companies do. Um, so let's get into the subscriptions, because you are a firm believer in subscriptions. I know that from what you have written on the arts blog for Americans for the Arts. And um, how long have you personally been using subscriptions in your career? Well, I'll say, you know, I've been in arts administration now for about 20 years, and I have always been a firm believer in it. Um, the first organization that I was involved in, I was not necessarily uh, directly a part of the marketing team, but for the past 15 years, I've been with two organizations, and I've been uh, intricately involved in the subscription sales, and I believe my enthusiasm for the subscription package and what it does for the art and what it does for the patron uh, has resulted in uh, excellent numbers for both organizations. I've, I've seen, you know, all time. And, and it's because there's a I think there's a true belief in my in my heart that it is a symbiotic relationship with the arts organization and the patron that is mutually beneficial. Can you expand upon that? What are the benefits for the arts organization and what are the benefits for the patron? Well, I think for the arts organization, one of the things that it gives, and I think sometimes organizations don't think about this side of it, it's more than just having the money. I mean, obviously, any time that you can bring revenue into your organization and have that money in-house early, it benefits your organization. But the other side of it is knowing that there is going to be a percentage of seeds that are already sold for every single production gives you a level of artistic freedom to be able to take some greater risks because you have a safety net. You're not having to acquire new audience members every single production or required to find an entire audience of patrons for every single production. You'll have a base audience to see that show. So what is your percentage right now as far as as subscribers go that make up your audience? What percentage are your subscribers right now? Shows in this season that have gone up to a a 10,000 inventory of tickets available, I would say we're at about 65% of our audience are subscribers. That's pretty amazing. So the ticket becomes more in demand then for what's left over. It really, in in tandem, we've started this season for the first time ever doing demand-based dynamic Mm -hmm. pricing. And actually, the demand-based pricing uh, has made the subscription even more valuable. So we're generating more revenue off of the single tickets that remain because if it is a popular show, the tickets are in high demand and people are willing to pay more for them. But for those subscribers who have tickets and are seeing the tickets advertised and selling at a rate much higher than what they paid, they feel like they've gotten a greater value even though the art is the same. Right. So we just unveiled another benefit of subscriptions that maybe people aren't thinking in those terms. We're going to pause here for a moment. I have asked some of my fellow arts marketing people to chime in with their thoughts and opinions on subscriptions, and then we'll continue our conversation with Al. And we heard from Amelia Northrup Simpson, who is the Director of Strategic Communications at TRG Arts. Here's what she has to say about subscriptions. The arts industry has been talking about the decline or the death of subscription for the past 15 years at least. But if the subscription model were truly dead, wouldn't it have just disappeared by now? The fact is, as an industry, we're still very much dependent on subscription to develop loyalty among our audiences and to provide revenue for our organizations. So is there room for innovation here? Absolutely. But I think while we're imagining what could be or what form our loyalty programs could take in the future, it's important that we don't forget 
subscriptions are still bringing in a large chunk of revenue for arts organizations at a very low ROI. And they pave the way not only for repeat attendance, but also for philanthropic giving in a way that other models just haven't been able to compete with at this point. I'm a firm believer that subscriptions are still alive and well as long as you focus on them again. We've never let go of that focus. Right. So tell me a little bit about the focus that you use at Aurora Theater so people can get an idea of what it takes to double your subscription base. I was speaking to a group one time and I said, you know, it has to be an organizational decision to focus on subscriptions. And they have to believe from the top down that that is the most important thing. So my executive director would walk out before an audience, uh, whether it's before a production or a speaking engagement, and he'll say the most important thing that you can do to support Aurora Theater is purchase a subscription. And I had someone in the audience kind of cough and go, what does the development department think about that? (laughs) And, you know, quite up in arms thinking that this would cause some sort of rift. And I said, well, actually, the development department is excited about that because it is a natural progression for a patron to hear about an organization, see a show, become a subscriber, and then become a donor. That is so true. That's the audience development. So in terms of what exactly do you do during your subscription dive? When does it start? How long does it last? Give us a little bit of the nuts and bolts of your focus. Well, that's that's the other thing that we do that maybe is a little different from a lot of other organizations. We never stop selling subscriptions. Wow. Okay. Uh, We are constantly selling. So I'll take you through a season. So we will start a season in July. We've already been selling renewals and, and we try to program at the beginning of our season. It's a philosophy to program a barn burner, a show that's going to be very popular not taking huge artistic risks at the beginning of the season, something that's going to be a crowd pleaser and going to generate a lot of single tickets. Because usually in the beginning of the season, as we're acquiring new subscribers, we're going to have more inventory of single tickets. Right. During that time, we are, you know, very aggressive in terms of, you know, training our staff, uh, our box office staff, understands fundamentally that they are not customer service representatives, but they are sales agents and that their goal is to sell people subscription packages and that single tickets will come about when you cannot make your goal of selling that subscription package. And they're trained, you know, with sales techniques to help them, you know, lead the customer to that conclusion. Um, We literally discuss in front of the audience like all of our marketing materials all of our um, advertising usually for the opening show is split 50 50 between uh the actual title of the show and getting people to lock into their subscription packages once that show closes we start selling a five show package Mm -hmm. and then during the holiday season we sell an introductory package, which is a mini season ticket, which is the three shows that remain in the season after the calendar changes. And we sell that as an opportunity for folks to purchase those as a Christmas gift. And we sell those with an incentive. For example, this year we gave people, if they purchased before Christmas, we gave them two tickets to any show in our studio that they could keep for themselves or give as an additional gift. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, and so we sold the mini season ticket through the holiday season. We continue as people try to purchase single tickets for our January show to upsell as, as possible. So every online order gets an email that says, if you pay this much more, you can get the rest of the season. Every phone call gets an upsell. And then starting in January, we have done our blind renewal. So we aren't even ready to announce our upcoming season 
But as we're selling these mini season ticket packages, we're already going into a blind renewal. Wow, that takes a lot of trust from your audience. So you must have that relationship. That's that's fantastic. Well, and and that is, you know, your reputation is all you have. And so we feel like that, you know, we want to make sure that our reputation, whether a show suits somebody's taste or not, that there's a level of competence and quality in the production of shows, and there's a level of customer service that always happens at the theater. Well, let me ask you this really quickly. When you're actually choosing the plays that become a part of the subscription series, who is in that meeting choosing these plays? We have a really interesting sort of open communication at Aurora Theater. Uh, we have an email called staff at Aurora Theater, and we send almost everything to staff mm -hmm. because you just never know when somebody on the staff is going to have some expertise. Okay. So our staff can contribute ideas. We're very open and allowed to, you know, voice opinions. Ultimately, the artistic staff is going to make the final decisions. The great thing about the artistic team is they rely on marketing not so much to select titles, but to help with the slotting of shows. As you mentioned, to have something that is a big audience pleaser for the very first show, so things of that nature are happening. I'll give you a great, for instance, we produced a play, uh, Lombardi, which is about a biopic about Vince Lombardi. Yes, okay. And uh, we produced this a couple of seasons ago. Our artistic staff's instincts were to put it in our October time slot, to coincide with the football season. Being in the southeast United States, it's a very football-crazy area. And I was able to come in and say, well, I think we'd be better off going into our January-February slot because we won't be competing directly with football, but there still will be a lot of news. The show actually happens during the Super Bowl, so we won't be competing with as much football programming but we will still be in the midst of, of you know, football in the news. Right, that, right. That's that really, pretty smart. That really worked out well for us, as a matter of fact. Uh, yes, that's pretty smart. Being relevant to what's happening around you is, is really brilliant. So let me ask you this. Do you, what are your thoughts about getting audience opinions before slating the subscription series? Well, I'll tell you this, we probably, in terms of, of how we slate the subscriptions, we probably look at behavior more than opinion. Okay. And tell I me think more. that's been some of the problem with some of the groups that haven't had the success. I think opinion is what got people out of being in the habit of using subscriptions. And I think sometimes how you ask those questions can be very misleading. Because if you ask people, do they want the freedom to choose things, in theory, they want to be free to choose their dates. They want to be free. But the one question nobody ever asks, if push comes to shove and you get busy and you don't choose, will you let it slip by? And that happens a lot in those choose-your-own subscriptions. That's true. It becomes, it becomes very difficult to renew people who miss programming. There are really two main factors, I feel like, that people consider when they're making a purchase at the theater. One is money and one is time. And in this day and age, people are living off of an electronic calendar. Your meetings are out there. This podcast was on mine. And so I had this time clear in my calendar of work or things around me just would have overtaken this time and I would have had other duties. People need to have the things that they enjoy on that calendar as well. And for most of your subscribers, regardless of what your art form is, they enjoy attending performances of the symphony, of plays, of ballet. That's why they, they buy the tickets. So getting them to put those days on their schedule, I think is extremely important. And surveys won't always bear out that that's something that they want to do when asked. Well, I think I agree with you in terms of the behavior, in terms of the the time span uh, of getting that on their calendar and having that be 
a predictable date for them so they know that that is their time to go see the symphony or the theater. But what I am interested in finding out is do you ask your audience about the types of plays they want to have as part of the subscription? And I'm thinking that that might be the choice that maybe the people that are anti-subscription are, are fighting for. They want their audience to have more of a say. We're taking a little pause here. I have to admit that I did not ask Al the age demographics of his subscribers. And one of the points that has been made by people who say subscriptions are dying is the fact that the younger generation is not prone to subscriptions. I received a comment from Bruce Marquis from Marquis Arts Consulting. And he basically said that we continue to use subscriptions that we've seen their use declining among younger patrons and we've been compelled to adapt season packaging to become more flexible as patron habits have changed. Though we found that young adult audiences generally resist subscriptions, our older audiences still purchase them. So this is one of the reasons why I asked whether or not the audience has a choice in their subscription packages. I think that letting them have even a little bit of a choice is going to make a difference and especially with the younger generation the younger generation wants to be more involved in what they see and just asking their opinion about what they would like to see in a subscription package may make some difference back to the conversation we're probably in a more underserved area okay so the audience looks to our expertise and knowing what the um the industry has to offer and understanding their sensibilities. And I guess our artistic staff feels a very uh, sense of obligation to sort of curate the artistic experience of the community in a way that seems relevant. And so that is something we are surveying them to find out important opinions but maybe not necessarily just about art, maybe just about life in general, so that we can make artistic decisions based on that data. So more on the psychographics than what their experience is in the, in the art form itself. Correct. Got it. I mean, okay. We, we did a Tony Award-winning show that was extremely popular called The Drowsy Chaperone that most people with even a tertiary understanding of theater would recognize the title and be excited about, mm -hmm. you would have thought we invented the wheel to our audience. <laughs> it completely took them off guard how much they liked it. And the, the title did not indicate to them what the show was going to be like, and they were so very pleasantly surprised. So they're not really as savvy when it comes to, by and large, as savvy when it comes to that. But again, we're in a very underserved area and a very new area. I mean, over the past, you know, 15 to 20 years, where we are in northeast suburban Atlanta has gone from completely agricultural to densely urban. And the demographics have also changed. Gwinnett County, which is the county where Lawrenceville is, is the most diverse county in the Southeast United States. So a lot of what we're trying to do with our programming is find ways to represent the diversity of our, of our uh, entire population right. uh, more effectively uh, because it's, it's, it's changing extremely rapidly. And that's a good point too. Do you take that into consideration with your subscription series? The component of diversity for your audience? We sure do. Um, and uh, it's, I think, been part of the success, not just the subscription series, but really from, again, it's really from the top down, uh, you know, in terms of board development, staff development, you know, trying to make sure that we are becoming more diverse on all fronts. Casting, we have run... Uh, Les Miserables, this has uh, been a huge success for us. We're, we just did a remount. We're in the process of doing a remount right now. And one of the huge successes, I think, of that particular production is how much diversity there is in the cast from 
uh, Caucasians to African Americans to Asians to Latinos all throughout the cast. And then what we're seeing as we put those images out there of a multicultural cast, we're seeing that more people are feeling comfortable coming to the theater that may not have previously attended productions. Right, right. Seeing themselves on stage. Yes. See, you know, because a show like Les Miserables, although it has this very specific period in time, is an epic sort of tale that, you know, is sort of a uh, allegory for, you know, a lot of things in a modern context. So by seeing, you know, the community represented in the production, they can mm-hmm. see the themes of the play represented in their community. That's great. So getting back to the, the nuts and bolts, because I am very interested in, in how you actually did this. You talked about how you upsell constantly throughout the season. But what does your upsell look like? I mean, what does that, is it a telemarketing plan that you have? I know you said you do some emails. Can you give me a description of of the, the types of actions you take to to sell these subscriptions? Yes. The one thing we don't do or have yet to do is a telemarketing campaign, although I would love to. What we have done, a very personal approach, and one of the things that we do is we put notes right on the people's chairs. We do very targeted training to the staff who are going to be dealing with customers on how to steer people to a subscription. So anytime that we're talking to a customer, we're thinking about how can we sell this person a subscription. And we're listening to what they say and understanding that they might have an objection. We want to overcome that objection, give them a benefit, and ask for the order. And that's pretty much, you know, what we do. Uh, pre-show talk is a big thing. So I don't know if this is common in every market, but in Atlanta, in greater Atlanta, there's always a live, almost always a live pre-show announcement from the stage. Mm -hmm. And so we dedicate a good portion of that to talking about subscriptions and how people can become involved in subscriptions. You know, for example, the first show of the season, when we go out on stage to talk to the audience, we'll say we'll take the purchase price of your single tickets tonight and apply that towards a subscription. Yes, I've used that tactic before. It it does work. It works really well. Um, You know, when we first started our blind renewal campaign last season, we were going to increase season uh, season ticket sales uh, prices. When we first started our our blind renewal campaign last season, we knew there was going to be an increase in season ticket prices. So we used that to our advantage. And we said to the folks, if you renew without knowing what the season is coming up, we're going to give you last year's price. And that was part of what really helped us to start off on the right foot and to having such a great year this year. Now, we don't have the same benefit, but we're at the same point in the season. So what I did was I found out there are two things that in my research showed me. There are two things audiences seem to respond to the most, wine and chocolate. (laughs) That's great. And uh, we thought about having private labeled bottles of wine, but what I ended up doing was finding a company that would take a seven-ounce Hershey bar and do a custom label. So we're doing Les Miserables. I have a commemorative Les Mis seven-ounce chocolate bar. That's great. And if people renew without knowing what the 20th anniversary season is, they get the chocolate bar. And we've literally had a couple of people that say, I really want that commemorative chocolate bar. How much is it? (laughs) And my sales associates have been, uh, it's about $100, depending on what night you subscribe to. (laughs) How sweet it is, huh? (laughs) And and they've actually turned those into sales. That's fabulous. (laughs) That's a great idea. So I was going to ask you how getting to know your audiences help with subscription sales, but you just gave me a great example. You knew that your audience liked wine and chocolate, so you use that to your advantage for subscription sales. That is a great example. So how often do you try to upsell? I mean, do you have like certain points of the year, like you do it 10 times a year? Or I mean, is there a, a number that you go 
target or? Well, when we say upsell, what we're really trying to do is turn every single ticket buyer into a subscriber. So when people call in for a single ticket or they email for a single ticket, we're constantly communicating to them the benefit of becoming a subscriber. Uh, we have all kinds of spreadsheets that break down the different costs uh, every time there are productions so that people can rattle off very quickly for X amount of dollars more, you could be a season ticket holder mm -hmm. or you could have the whole season or for X dollars a show, you could have the entire season. And it's, it's, it's very effective sometimes to put it in those terms. The other thing, and it kind of gets into, I know what's going to be a future question is understanding all the benefits. Right. That is the next question I was going to ask you. And it's something that I, I feel that organizations are not giving this question enough weight of what the benefits of becoming a subscriber are. And I think that's going to make a difference for why people subscribe. So what is working at Aurora Theater? What are your benefits right now? One of the common things that I'm seeing at other organizations is that they're trying to give the patron more flexibility in their subscription package. And in theory, that's a benefit. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I think it takes away some of the more immediate benefits that you can close a deal on. Such as? <laughs> what, well, let me explain. So if you're tied into a seat that you love, a particular seat, or if you'd like to upgrade what is your seat, having a day that is a point of no return gives them a sense of immediacy, a sense of urgency mm -hmm. to making that purchase at that time. The more flexible the package, the less sense of urgency there is. So that on the basic level is one of the benefits that I don't think people think about the most. One of the benefits that most people consider is price. And we certainly fit into that mold. We offer our very best value of tickets to season ticket holders. And we're very careful in any discounting that we do to make sure that we do not undercut our season ticket packages at being the best value. Because again, that commitment to our organization has a value beyond. We've also built in different things into our packages as we've learned about our patrons and what's important to them. So we have guest passes. We've created a way for them to become ambassadors for the theater. If you subscribe, you get guest passes. If you subscribe and donate, you get guest passes that have are actually free tickets instead of discounted tickets. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a really cool thing. And the way that works is we actually have a star pass membership. So there are certain seats that you have to donate at a $50 per ticket level, or it's actually going up to $70 at 20th anniversary, a 20 year, $20 increase. So for $70 per season ticket, you could become a Star Pass member and you have the exclusive right to seats. You have what's called our limited guest pass, which means that you can bring uh, two guests for every season ticket to one show during the year. Mm -hmm. And those guests have to come with you. It's not just the gift certificate. <laughs> so you're serving as an ambassador to the theater and helping us cultivate. And we're not shy about telling people we want you to help us become introduced to your friends and family so they will subscribe. I mean, we're, we are very transparent about <laughs> it sounds like that. <laughs> what, what our desire is with that benefit. Oh, that's great, though. I, I don't hear that every day where you are using your subscriptions to, to get them to donate as well with that one perk that you mentioned. It's, it's that, is, that is something that, that needs to start happening, that marrying of those two worlds. It, it shouldn't just be about the marketing department and the development department. If you work together using something like subscriptions, that could be that middle ground. Anyway, I, I really enjoyed you sharing that, that benefit. Well, again, we're in a very new culture of, you know, the arts in a region. And so a lot of these traditions of supporting the arts 
philanthropically is not in the DNA of the society. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to help people understand that there are perks to giving, including feeling great about being a part of the organization that, that go with supporting an organization. So yes, uh, we only offer exchanges to our season ticket holders. And again, the star pass members have unlimited exchanges mm -hmm. and our, uh, single, our season ticket patrons get two exchanges mm -hmm. and then there's a service fee. But if you buy single tickets, there are no exchanges. And, and from a customer service standpoint, that does sometimes create some friction, but we feel like it's worth dealing with those situations to give that subscriber benefit. We produced Clyburn Park this year, and for us, it was an artistic risk, mm -hmm. but we felt because of the makeup of our community and the brilliance of that play, we needed to produce that play at this time. And we knew there was some language in that play that was probably going to ruffle the feathers of our audience. We'd had enough audience feedback to know that language is a, is a touch point for, for many of our patrons. So necessity is the mother of invention. And it's turned out that we've created a benefit that we're going to keep. And it's a wonderful benefit. We created a switch pass and they can switch out of any of the main stage shows once per season into a studio show. Oh, I love that idea. So they, that's a little bit of the flexibility that might be missing from. We, we, we actually purposefully programmed Driving Miss Daisy, which was dealing with some of the same um, thematic things that Clyburn Park mm -hmm. was, but obviously a little <laughs> less language. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And we did them at the same time so that folks who could change their tickets because they didn't want to hear certain language would not miss out on a theme that we were carrying through our season. Interesting. Because uh, that is something I didn't mention before. We really think about as an organization is how does the season sort of tell a story in its own mm -hmm. right? You know, from play to play, what is the journey of the patron? We don't, we don't just think about, you know, project, project, project. We assume that people are going to subscribe. And so we think about the journey from the first show to the end of the season as being all like a part of a, a, a performance. And how does that ebb and flow throughout the year? And so we really didn't want people to miss that part of the journey. But the, the residual thing was we had all different kinds, you know, we had folks who came out of the woodwork and said, Honestly, I'm not as enthusiastic about your holiday show for whatever mm -hmm. reason. And we'd like to arrange to see something else. And when we say studio, we opened it up to any production performance that we had in the studio. So it wasn't just series of plays, but we allowed people to come to stand up comedy nights that we produced. How fun. How fun. And so it's been really great from the organization standpoint. Those shows have a much lower single ticket revenue price. Mm -hmm. So if we opened up a holiday show ticket that's, you know, a $35 to $50 ticket and traded it in for a $20 comedy show or an $18 comedy show and the customer was happy. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. And we were able to resell that <laughs> subscription ticket for full price. Are you yeah, kidding that, me? Yeah, that's very smart. Very smart, Al. They buy the season tickets based on, they. I know I want to see Les Miserables. I know I want to see the holiday show. I've never heard of this. I've never heard of that. And then at the end of the year, I love having conversations or even looking over feedback that we might be gathering and have them say, well, my favorite show was this. And it was something that we didn't expect to love or something we'd never heard of. And I think that's one of the other big benefits and selling points to your season ticket package is finding those anecdotes where somebody saw something that they had never heard of and it changed their lives for the better. And you can use that as a very powerful sales tool because that is one of the big impediments that some people have to purchasing subscriptions and you want them to feel comfortable. So if you share an experience 
that another patron had that they can relate to, it makes it easier for them to take that risk. Right. Your subscription sales are very sales oriented. Do you actually sit down and have a plan that woos the single ticket buyer into becoming a subscriber? Or is it just simply you, you keep asking and hopefully at some moment they will understand the benefits? Well, I would say our plan is that we're always aggressively looking for techniques and reasons that folks will want to purchase a single ticket. So I have like a bunch of mini plans, if that makes sense. Okay. You know, almost every single show we go into with a game plan for how we're going to respond. So I would say our, our overreaching plan is to always be aggressively marketing subscriptions to our customers, especially those folks who are coming to us to purchase a ticket to a production. Now, within that, we will have a mini plan for every single production that I'll go over with the box office in front of house staff and say, you know, for this particular show, these are techniques. We also really communicate a lot. And I'll give a good example with Les Mis. Coming into Les Mis in January, we open the show on January 15th. It runs through March 1st. I had a spreadsheet set up with how much a single ticket would cost, even with dynamic pricing, and then how much extra it would cost to do a mini-season ticket for the remainder of our season. So with every single customer that called in for a ticket – they would offer them that mini season ticket for an additional, and a lot of times we're talking because it's such a great promotional offer, 20 or $30 more, they could get the rest of the season. Wow. Okay. Everybody who made a online ticket purchase and we were notified from our, our software that a purchase had been made, we would send that customer an email saying, Would you like to upgrade to the full season? We had a message that would go out to those people that would inform them of, for this much more, you can get the ticket. Uh, We send ticket reminders before each show uh, about 48 hours in advance. Mm -hmm. In those ticket reminders, we promote season tickets. (laughs) After someone attends the show, we send a thank you for coming to the show. And you promote the subscriptions again. <laughs> and, yeah. And in, in, that, in that thank you is an opportunity for them to purchase a season ticket. In our social media and our other marketing pieces, we are constantly informing people of the opportunity to become a subscriber. So it's, it, it is a constant thing. During the performance, we were doing the blind renewal campaign And oftentimes people would come up and ask how they could subscribe. And we'd say, well, if you're not currently a subscriber, the first step is becoming a mini season ticket holder and upgrading your ticket for tonight. And then if you would like to go ahead and sign up for next season, we'd be happy to do that. So the perks of it's it sounds like it's it's mainly based on the discount price that they would get, because that is the biggest benefit. It sounds like that you're selling. Is there any other benefit that you have that you promote strongly? I think for for us, one of the big benefits is if the show is popular, it's going to guarantee you a seat. When you get to a point where you have 65% of your seats filled with subscribers, right. if it's a popular show, inventory can be an issue. And getting a guaranteed seat and a great seat is a is a huge benefit. I've noticed that in the arts, sometimes we're afraid. Exactly. To ask I was waiting to bring that point up. So you hit the nail on the head. We do not ask enough. And so half the time, people don't even know about the subscription package. They just do not even get approached. So the fact that you're constantly, it kind of reminds me of that church mentality of always like, here's how you can become a church member. Here's how you can donate. Here's how they're constantly getting into that conversation with their members. And it sounds like you're using that same tactic to get people to be more involved with Aurora Theater as well. So, yes, I firmly believe it. So, so you definitely have a strong focus, it sounds like, and that's why it's working. But I do need to ask in terms of perspective here. 
what is your competition like in the area in terms of theater and the arts in general? I come from an area that we have so much arts going on and so many people selling subscriptions that it is a little bit more of a challenge for us to to get our share of subscribers. So what is it like in Lawrenceville? Well, I think I can actually speak more about that from my previous job, even though it's been 10 years. I worked for uh, the Georgia Shakespeare Festival, which was uh, more in the city of Atlanta. And um, here's what I do know. The reality is the arts sometimes are your competition, but I firmly believe, and I've believed this for many years, that the external things that keep people away from the theater are much more your competition. And you're talking about you know, what in terms of external things? Well, I would say this. You know, people say to me, you know, aren't you worried? We, we promote other arts organizations all the time in our newsletters, in our social media. And people say, why are you so free? We do list exchanges when people ask, but people are doing so much fewer mailings. We get We get asked a lot less often for that. And they say, why are you always so free to help? And I said, I don't believe that those people are really my competition. I believe if people are going out and doing things, chances are they're going to want to come to. I'm confident enough that our experience is going to be a great enough experience that they're going to want to come. There you go. So it's not that quality that you are presenting. You feel that. But the hard thing is sitting at home with a half a bottle of Merlot and playing Zenga games or, you know, Candy Crush. That's the competition. And that's, what ha- and that's what happens to people. You're tired. You're, you've been working a lot of hours. You go home, you have a free night. It's easy. It's available. It's right there. That's why I think the subscription is so important because if it's not on your calendar, you're going to do it. And I've done the, I, I can't say that I haven't done it. You know, I farted around on Twitter <laughs> and had a couple of cocktails and had the TV on in the back, background and, you know, killed an evening doing social media fun and, you know, hanging out in my house. It's easy to do. Oh, I totally agree. You need that sense of commitment or people that even if they, are enthusiastic about what you're presenting. If they don't have that ticket already booked, then, yeah, they could end up on Facebook all night. We don't do posters, and it's a lot of the same thing. I feel like people walk by a poster and they say, oh, I want to see that. Oh, I want to see that. Oh, that started. Oh, that started. And then they see the poster, maybe hang up. Oh, I can't believe I missed it. You know what I mean? I always feel like I want to have a handbill or something that somebody can take with exactly. them. Exactly. So when they're at a point where they can make a, a, a purchase that, you know, when it's convenient for them to make their purchase, whether it's online or by the phone, that they have the information readily available as opposed to it being out on a poster. Right, exactly. So I'm assuming that it, in your campaign, your overall campaign, that the ambassadors or the people that are out there helping you push the subscriptions and push the series that um, they're out there inviting people, correct? Well, yes. And not only that, they have those guest passes. So if you're a couple, you have four guest passes every year that you can buy $12 tickets. Or if you're a donor and you're in the star pass membership, you can bring people for for free. free. And, And the point is that inventory is well spent. Because the potential revenue that we're going to lose on that ticket, we're looking at it as an investment in future subscribers. Right. And if you do the math, it's probably less expensive than you taking out an ad and hoping and praying that that's going to hit for a single ticket buyer. Well, it's certainly more, it's certainly more effective right. because <laughs> it's, it's guaranteeing someone in the building, you know, experiencing your exactly. work. No, we totally agree on that. We know your opinion about the create your own approach or some of the other flexible approaches. And I think what you had to share with us is a great argument for focusing on subscriptions still. But do you feel that there are any other newer options out there that 
kind of caught your eye or you want to try or, or you think is worth giving a shot? I will steal any great idea that I see <laughs> out there um, that inspires me because I think it's important what we do. The big thing that I always look to is how does this create a sense of urgency for the buyer? Mm-hmm. The buyer is not going to be as motivated after they leave your building as they are when they're in your building. So what can I do tonight to create a sense of urgency to have that person give me a credit card before they walk out the door? And the reality is I feel good about, you know, some people might listen to this and go, that guy is just too aggressive of a salesman. (laughs) Let me just say my background is in sales. I am someone who started off wanting to be an actor. I only ended up finishing my associate's degree because I started an internship with a dear friend, Chris Coleman, who now runs the Portland Center Stage. Okay. And uh, he he really, you know, helped me develop as an artist. And I ended up getting a lot of great work as a young actor. But as I became more involved in the producing of theater and wanted to become more a part of you know, the other side of theater, I had to take what I had learned. And what I had learned was I wasn't really set up to be a waiter when I was acting. Mm -hmm. So I did sales jobs. I did a lot of telemarketing. I did a lot of outside sales. And I learned sales techniques. And I tried to bring those to the theater. And the one thing I always tell people, you can manufacture a lot of things that makes a great salesperson. But the one thing that you cannot manufacture is sincerity. And I sincerely believe that anybody I talk to who is interested in the work we're doing here enough to call the theater is a great candidate. And their life will probably be better for having a series of plays that they attend. I've never heard of anybody on their deathbed saying my one regret is that I went to too many live performances. (laughs) That's true. And I'm sincere when I get people to go ahead and do something for themselves that they may be a little apprehensive about. Now, does that mean I believe they're going to love every single experience that they have here? No. But I think overall they'll be glad they had that series of experiences, Mm -hmm. and they'll be glad that they were a part of something that is trying to make their community a better place to live in many, many ways. Is there any last things that you want to share with people out there in terms of selling subscriptions? You know, the one thing I'll reiterate, and I think it's the most important thing, is it can't just be a marketing initiative. I think it's going to be really hard if it's not something that you don't have buy-in from your whole organization. It does work in tandem. If your board's not out there talking about how important it is to support your organization through becoming a member, if your artistic staff doesn't feel like those members are going above and beyond to help the organization, if the art isn't, you know, being produced for those members, if the customer service and the people who are getting donations you know, that's something that really helps. And, and it helps sponsorships. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just donations. If that development department goes to a business and says, we have, you know, 4,500 subscribers, the second most in the Atlanta area of any theater, uh, second only to a theater that has six times our budget, mm-hmm. don't you want to sponsor us? It's a compelling argument. So it benefits the organization in so many ways to have that strong ace. The artistic people, as I said, it gives them the freedom to take a risk artistically because if you've got a safety net that says your show is going to be at 65%, but I do feel like you could take calculated risks Mm -hmm. artistically and chances, and sometimes those risks reap untold artistic benefit and discovery. In the end, 
those magical moments are why we're in this industry. Well, the fact that you have such a good foundation and you only have to sell 35% of your house then is a huge advantage. I think that in in itself is is a really fantastic argument for being subscription-oriented. Um, but it also sounds like the way that you do subscriptions is you're getting to know your audience and you're taking some of their opinions into account in some shape or form in order to create the benefits for their subscription package. And then just have a good understanding of your community at large. Right. Be involved in the community. And I think that that's something that really helps our organization because in terms of finding acquisitions, be it season tickets or single tickets or students or whatever, you need to understand the pe- the area that you serve and that population and what's happening and what's going on to be able to give context to the art that you're creating for those individuals. It's not that you have to mirror what they are, right. but... You know, Clyburn Park in our situation was, again, it was an artistic risk. We understood the context, and it was a success not only with subscribers and creating the switch path. It was a success with single-ticket buyers and community building because how we were able to frame our messaging about that show to bring relevance to the community. Well, I want to thank you. You've given us a lot to think about here in terms of pro subscriptions. And I'll be interested to hear some of the feedback in terms of the people that have had thoughts that subscriptions are dead and looking at how successful Aurora Theater has been with their subscription campaigns. Where can people find you? It's it's so easy. It's my first name, Al, at Aurora Theater. And that's A-U-R-O-R-A-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot com. If you do dot org, you're going to reach some nice people in Berkeley. (laughs) Um, And they'll be on the West Coast, and they're lovely, and they do a great job out there. But dot com is Aurora Theater in Atlanta, Lawrenceville, Georgia. Okay, so auroratheater.com will get you to where your organization is, and it's al at auroratheater.com. Well, thanks so much, Al, and I hope to have you on the show another time. I'd be more than willing to. (laughs) Okay, you take care. I met Al Stilo back in 2011 at one of the National Arts Marketing Project conferences, and we've been friends ever since. Now, I had one more comment that came in on the positive side for subscriptions, and that was from David Dion, who's management assistant at Bucks County Playhouse. And he writes that subscriptions are a great tool within the toolbox of audience development, but not the only one. I think it's the best tool to begin with to create the base of one's audience base and then go from there. And I do agree with that. So I just want to wrap this up with one last main point that I think all of us are still on the same page, whether it be subscriptions or if you want to try different types of membership programs or loyalty rewards programs, that the main point here is we need to start building relationships with our single ticket buyers. That is what is really crucial right now. People are falling through the cracks. The churn rates are off the charts at like 70-something percent. People are not coming back because we are not doing the follow-up. We are not doing the follow-through in order to build those relationships with the single-ticket buyer. And once you start doing that and you start tracking behaviors, which all of us still can do even with those silly Excel spreadsheets, as long as we have access to figuring out what types of programming audiences want to purchase, we can make smart decisions in our future programming, in our future subscriptions, in our future sales. So I think we all are still kind of on the same page. Yes, I agree with doing subscriptions as a focus if that's what you're really passionate about. But the main point is develop that relationship with the single ticket buyer, format a program that helps you to do just that. So I'm going to end it here subscriptions dead or alive it's your choice and lastly i wanted to promote a webinar that is happening tomorrow and it is tomorrow that is february 12th 
and it's being put on by TRG Arts and it is absolutely free and it's called the death of the subscription has been greatly exaggerated why subscriptions still sustain the arts and ways to rescue your subscription program so it promises to be a good how-to webinar the time is 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and all you have to do is go to their website trgarts.com and so that's it. I'm Shoshana Fenitza with Audience Development Specialist. Find out more about the services that I provide for the art, artists and arts organizations at buildmyaudience.com. Thanks so much for joining us for ADS Podcast. We hope to have you join us next time. Take care.